Now, I got home last night and uh, started working on today's show and just the news of Vince Scully. And um, this is a tough one for me. It's uh, I knew it was coming. Vin's 94 years old when he passed away. But he had called baseball for 67 years. And it's interesting with Vin Scully because I know there's a I know a lot of people who aren't fans of baseball, but they know Vin Scully and they know his calls. I've been told or I read somewhere once in a book about him or somewhere I forget, and I should have looked this up prior to today, but he had a photographic memory. And I can just even recently, he retired in 2016 after 67 years, 67 years of calling baseball, Dodgers baseball. And so I remember he had a, a reading, he had a photographic memory. And that always fascinated me, people that can look at something and just recall it at any point. And I think it was about 2014, it was about two or three years away from his retirement because I remember thinking, man, I am going to miss this man when he retires. And it was a game for the Dodgers in Arizona, and they were always on Sportsnet late at night. And he, a guy had just got called up from the minors. And it was about three months into the season. And he came to the plate and he said whatever the guy's name was, drafted three years ago out of this round, out of this school. And then, uh, as Vin does, he goes into this story about at the draft, he remembers talking to his father, who his father was in the military and was telling him a story about, you know, his own uh, days being stationed somewhere and how they would play baseball and that his dad actually played minor ball with this guy whose father is now a head scout with this other team. And I'm making all this up, but that's the train of the how he would go. And I was sitting there and just listening to the beautiful tone of Vin Scully tell this story, wondering how in a game in the middle of a season when you didn't even know this kid was going to be called up, remember that three years prior, a conversation you had with the kid's dad about somebody else in a different organization from three years ago and just knowing all the details and remembering it and then just eloquently sharing it with everybody. So, and and throughout my life, like long before I ever knew I wanted to be a broadcaster, I fell in love with Vin Scully and his storytelling and the way he called a baseball game. Um, he's iconic. It's epic. And throughout my life, I don't know how many times of moving different provinces, going to places where I didn't know anybody, trying to make my way in my own career, and late at night, at the end of the day, no matter what kind of day it was, no matter what town I was in, no matter what city I was a part of, no matter what stories I did that day, there was Vin Scully at the end of the night, West Coast broadcast, radio or TV, Dodgers were usually on. And I'll listen to an inning or two of Dodger baseball and then hit the rack. And I'd listen to the whole game because of Vin Scully. So we're going to talk about him. Paul Edmonds, the voice of the Jets and longtime voice of the Gold Eyes, is going to join me. Paul knows about, you know, how difficult it is to broadcast um, baseball by yourself. And Paul was just as good. I remember many a summer nights 
um, listening to Paul tell stories and call a baseball game at the same time. So he's going to join me at 2 o'clock. We're going to talk to Roman Yureniak, get the latest update on, on what's transpiring in Ukraine, and it's not good. That's coming up as well. We're going to talk a little bit about mosquitoes, first case of West Nile from Orkin, and uh, Derek Taylor is going to join me also. I'm going to have more on Vin Scully as the show goes on. But I wanted to open the show this way. We're going to have a little bit of a shorter segment next segment. We're going to talk about that tornado at Toulon and, and an interview Loren McNabb did. But I wanted to open the show with that little about the meaning of, of, of what Vin Scully and his beautiful uh, way he called the baseball game and the stories he would tell throughout my entire life at night would often be the last thing I heard before I went to sleep. And I wanted to play this tribute of Vin Scully. And this is by the Dodgers uh, and what they put out last night on the tribute they gave, the iconic voice of Vin Scully. The poet laureate of baseball, the best there ever was, the voice of heaven. Those are just a few of the ways colleagues have described the great Vin Scully. But to Dodger fans, he was simply known as Vinny. In 1949, Vin was recruited by legendary broadcaster Red Barber to cover college football for CBS Sports Radio. His first assignment was a Boston University game that he broadcasted from the roof of a frigid Fenway Park, doing so without a coat or gloves. Barber was so impressed, he asked the 22-year-old Scully to join him and Connie Desmond in the Brooklyn Dodgers booth for the upcoming 1950 season. After Barber left the Dodgers in 1953, Scully became the youngest man ever to broadcast a World Series game at the age of 25. When Dodgers owner Walter O'Malley moved the franchise west to Los Angeles in 1958, he didn't hesitate to bring his broadcast team of Jerry Doggett and Vin Scully with him. Together they played a pivotal role in introducing Los Angeles to professional baseball and their boys in blue. Baseball remains the perfect canvas for Vin's artistic broadcasting palette. It was only fitting that Scully continually found himself in the catbird seat for the game's biggest moments. What a marvelous moment for the country and the world. A black man is getting a standing ovation in the deep south for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol. It looks like he's going to burn a flag, and Rick Monday runs and takes it away from him. And so Monday, I think a guy was going to set fire to the American flag. Can you imagine that? He's got it. The Los Angeles Dodgers have just about done the impossible. In total, Vin Scully called 25 World Series, 12 All-Star games, three perfect games, and 18 no-hitters. But perhaps he saved his best work for the single most important swing in the Dodgers' 100-plus year history on that fateful night in October of 1988. High fly ball into right field. She is gone! In a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. While he wasn't always comfortable with the spotlight, Vinny not only understood but embraced his role of ambassador for the game of baseball. Four, it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. The city of Los Angeles. Let's hear it, Vin Scully! And the loyal fan base of his beloved Dodgers. One of the great rewards in my life is the privilege of broadcasting Los Angeles Dodger baseball to the nicest fans in the world. 
While some broadcasters find it difficult to mask the inevitable signs of aging, Scully continued to call the action with the energy and attention to detail he believed it deserved. And the fly ball, the deep right, blanks to the track. It is gone. He has hit another one. Que viva Cuba. Viva Pui. Despite not traveling during his 67th season, he went to San Francisco for the season-ending series. And for the final time in his career, Vin Scully called Dodger baseball. So this is Vin Scully wishing you a very pleasant good afternoon wherever you may be. After more than 67 years chock full of colorful observations, anecdotes, and stories that only a man of his unique talent and experience could provide, Dodger fans will forever remember him most for his signature five-word introduction to Dodger broadcasts. It's time for Dodger baseball. The game goes on, and so does Vin Scully's memory. Vin Scully passed away yesterday at 94, and I think there's two things in there that tribute the Los Angeles Dodgers put out last night is the best thing you can say about a broadcaster, or one of the best, is they are timeless, and he has covered generations timelessly, or did, at 67 years in the game of broadcasting and doing Dodgers baseball. More on this to come. We're going to talk about it with Paul Edmonds at the top of the hour. We'll get his thoughts on the Jets t- uh, this offseason as well, but mostly on Vin Scully. And also have Vin Scully's final sign-off from October 2nd, uh, 2016, when he finally hung up the microphone after 67 years. Right now, with all that's going on in Ukraine and, and all that's going on with Ukrainians who have arrived here in Canada, we like to bring in a Ukraine historian and our good friend of the program, Roman Ureniak. Roman, how are you doing these days? I'm doing fine, and how are you doing? Doing well, thank you. Um, have you w- come down to the Cave Pavilion yet? I have not. Are you uh, taking it in? I'm and how's inviting that- you. You've got Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I will- 11 shows to go. I will do my best. Have you been enjoying that? Uh, we have. We had our grandkids uh, dance yesterday, so we really enjoyed it. No. They're part of the um, my Dance Ensemble here in Winnipeg. Right. So they, they had a chance to get on stage. They were really, really excited about performing. Good crowds yesterday, too, by the way. Well, that's great. How is the Ukraine Pavilion with all that's going on this year? Well, you know, the, the surprise that I find is that all of our volunteers for the previous two or three years with us. And then we picked up about 10% new volunteers from our Canadian Ukrainians. And we picked up 10% of the volunteers from Ukraine. So the people from Ukraine are volunteering and learning what volunteerism is like, Canadian style. So we're pretty happy with that. Do you know how rare that is right now, Roman, that every charity, every golf tournament, we did Story Slow Mission are in desperate need of volunteers, and, and then you're 10% up. That's, that's excellent for the Ukraine community and also really in general that because people are struggling to find volunteers right now. Oh, definitely, definitely. It is a problem. But, you know, if you chat with people and just suggest, you know, two, three hours, if you say to them for a whole day, come on out for a whole day, they won't come out. But after two, three hours, and then they want to see what this experience is all about. Because, you know, one of the ideas of volunteering is you become also a participant in the fact that you will have some free time to be able to watch the shows and taste the food 
Our pavilion, for example, provides free luncheons for all the volunteers. So this helps out because they get a flavor of what the Ukrainian-Canadian community is all about. I also visited the Dauphin Festival on Saturday and Sunday. The same thing there. Their volunteer base is pretty strong. They brought in 15 families from Ukraine to Dauphin and offered them jobs and housing and everything. All 15 families were working somewhere on the on the uh, on the site of the festival throughout the four-day festival so that was very good to see too well let's continue this conversation then we'll get to the current situation in ukraine Uh, how are all the refugees doing that have arrived i know you don't keep tabs up with all of them but in general how have things gone so far well i'll give it sort of a a b plus rating um you you know that winnipeg now we're close to five thousand refugees that have arrived that's um, mothers, children, and grandmothers, and usually, and sometimes even fathers. Although fathers must stay in Ukraine with the war, the war effort, etc. So it's going pretty good. Um, we're we're now having some problems with housing. There's a shortage of three-bedroom apartments, or you know, condo units. People want to rent out or houses. So. Because there's some units that are coming in now of six, seven people. They want a three-bedroom house. You've got to give a bedroom for the children. Two adults get a bedroom, and two more adults get a bedroom. So if there's anybody out there, if they, we would be really interested in, in hearing from you. Yeah. Um, the, the issue of jobs, you know, 4,000 people have gone through, half are children, half are adults. So we filled probably around... 1,000, 1,200 jobs, but there's still 800 to go. And the the other issue is some of the better jobs are gone, so it's basically the $12, $15, $16 jobs. And some people want to have a little bit better better paycheck at the end of the month because, you know, if you have a $1,000 cost for an apartment and one person is working and making, let's say, 2200 doesn't leave very much money for the food and the clothing. And, and you know, we got back to school in a month's time. Right. So um, it's going to be a little bit of a battle for some of these families to be able to continue and that's, um, doing their thing. And, and, you know, a lot of people are trying to pick up also second jobs now. You know, and that's another again, question. From seven to three, I'd like to pick up something from six to nine. You know? so, so that's a challenge then for people looking for their first jobs. But anyways, it's, it's working out not too badly. Well, that's good. And I like the grade you gave it, a B plus. It's not an A plus, but doing okay, not too badly, as you said. I did want to ask you about that with the kids and, and, and going back to school in a month. And, and if most are, you know, sort of preparing for that, that uh, they'll be attending a Canadian school for the first time. Well, you know, we're very lucky. Uh, they've been coming, uh, the refugees have been coming for four months. The ones that got here in uh, early, middle, and late April, beginning of May, actually put their children in for two months of schooling. So those children have already acclimatized. Then we've had summer camps for them, both at the lakes for two weeks, and we also had them in the city here, sort of urban camps. So they've been acclimatized at those camps. So the children are doing, I would say, they're doing closer to an AA+. Uh, and they're really gearing up for returning to school. And, you know, they know that when they go back to school, um, there's going to be challenges. And, um, you know, they'll be put in classrooms where they'll be able, having additional work done in English 
to support their improvement of their English language skills. But they're they're challenged for that, and they're ready for it. Excellent. Good to know. I did want to say uh, I I had a freezer issue on the weekend, and I called the company, and the gentleman that came to, to fix it um, had been here two months from Ukraine. He was a former soldier for eight years. He said he left the battlefield. Um, I, I felt a, a little bad for him, Roman, because he was very stressed out over he couldn't speak English and had to use a translation on his phone and said that between work, he, he is studying English and has been for two months, but he was a little dismayed that he hasn't picked it up as quickly as he hoped. And I just told him to relax. Everything's fine. We figured it out, and he did a great job. But it just hammered home the point to me that, um, you know, we think it's great that that um, the people from Ukraine arrive, they get a job, they get a place to stay, and we sort of go, well, this is great. And it, it's still, there's a lot of challenges with that still, even though things have worked out for, for getting them here, that just getting, you know, acclimatized and feeling comfortable is is still part of the, the people who have arrived from Ukraine's journey. That's right. And, and I think you hit it well. Many of the people have taken their first job, but they also want to continue with English language skills. But sometimes the English language skills, the hours for, for instruction, um, you know, are complicated with the job that the person has. So although they do want to do that, um, they're, they're sometimes... I have to, you know, maybe wait an extra week or two to be able to adjust. Now, a lot of them also have brought some computer systems from Ukraine where they're learning English from Ukrainians in Ukraine, which is kind of strange for us. But nonetheless, but they're continuing on because, you know, you can turn on your computer anytime for two hours and three hours and, and pick up, you know, another, another unit of, of your study. So that, that's, that shows me that people are really interested in improving their skills. And they're going to be improving their skills also by working you know, at jobs and, and, and having interaction with, you know, our Canadians that you know, would be somewhat of a supervisor for them. So I think this works out very nicely. And finally, I wanted to get an update on Ukraine. And, and we know there's been some more bloodshed. And I'm reading the stories about them getting some wheat out, which has always been, I think, 60% of of the world's wheat is, has come from Ukraine. What's the overall situation, and is the war getting worse? Well, you know, uh, with 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 the war now into its sixth month, uh, we're hearing a little bit less on the um, you know the television and the computers, etc. But you know, some of the damaged areas are, are are spreading somewhat, but not as rapidly as the Russians, I think, believe. But Ukrainians are still digging in and fighting and doing everything possible to try to defend, you know, their city and their territory. Um, in Canada, our Ukrainian community is at least satisfied that Western Ukraine has not been attacked. You know, many of us came from Western Ukraine. So Western Ukraine is pretty well intact. And also we're very happy that cave and the bureaucracy that the government has there is still also intact. On the grain ship... I think this shows that if we're willing to talk and get United Nations and some of the other agencies involved to try to open the waters so the ships can get out, I think shows that there is a meaningful dialogue. And I think this first ship plays a very important role because there could be another 30, 40 ships that I understand are waiting on standby to ship out this grain. And we need that grain in Africa and parts of uh, of Asia, where there's a shortage of grains and there's starvation taking place. So here on one hand, Ukraine's got the war. On the other hand, it's got the the 
the grains, but they can't get the grains out. Now at least they can get some of the grain out uh, to help the world situation with some of the uh, problems of hunger in, in, in Africa as well as in Asia. So that's a good thing. Yeah, it is for sure, and we wish everybody all the best. How is your family and friends that you know over there? Are they still uh, doing all right? Yep, they're doing pretty well. Um, the hardest picture that I'm seeing working at the Ukrainian Canadian Congress table is families that really got bombed. They left their house in the morning, went to work, and within a couple of hours, they're hearing that the bombs are coming. They get to their home abode, and it's destroyed making the decision to take whatever they can, you know, the two little suitcases, and get into a vehicle, getting to the border with Poland, getting their documentation done to come to Canada, and eventually catching that plane here. These are people, you know, the devastation and the mental anguish, I think, is still strong. The children, not so much, because children relive things, but they have their own unique way of handling problems. But for the parents to lose all your possessions, everything, all your archives, all the pictures, everything you can imagine is, 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 is very, very tough. But many of the people that I've met at, at, at our center at the Best Western Hotel. Right, for sure. Finally, Roman, let's give out that number or the website again that people can reach out if uh, they do uh, have some can help for you. I just give my phone number? If you wish, yeah. If you want people to sure. just call you on... Phone me at 204 250-7552. 250-7552. And uh, biggest need right now is three-bedroom apartments. Three-bedroom apartments, yeah. And jobs. And the jobs. That jobs available. We'd like to hear from them. Once again, Roman Yereniak, a Ukraine historian and just great, him and his wife doing great work for the refugees. 204-250-7552 if you can help out in the Ukraine community. Thank you very much, Roman, and I hope to see you down at the pavilion. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it.